she made me aware of that from a very young age. She showed me slaughterhouse footage, literally. Like I'd say, oh, look, you know, cows in the field. She'd say, yeah, when we get home, I'm going to show you what happens to them. Literally, wow. that's how, I, yeah, from a very young age. You know, you think that wow. would traumatize someone, but it, it didn't. It just, well, it links back to what I said earlier, that it, I was very sure that what I was doing was right because I had seen what happened if I... If I chose to buy it and eat it, I see how, how it goes. You are listening to Plant Strength Radio. Each week, remarkable stories of plant-based healing, mindfulness, fitness, nutrition, and activism, as told by those with the expressed desire to affect lasting change in our world. Real people, real experiences. Your host, Bobby Lynch. What's up, guys, and welcome to Plant Strength Radio. I'm your host, Bobby Lynch, and on today's show, we have the unapologetic and proudly outspoken animal rights YouTuber from the UK, David Rams. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. Um, So before we get started, got a lot to get into today, but... We're going to have a little on-the-spot icebreaker segment to warm us up. Are you ready to go? Sure, yeah. Let's do it. All right. Awesome. So if you could describe to me in three words or less how your 2021 has been so far. Three words or less how 2021 has been so far. I, I wish I'd have paid attention to these questions before we jumped into the to the to the podcast. Actually, so. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the point of it. It's the on the spot. I couldn't give you. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, couldn't give it to you give beforehand. You're right. I didn't get them beforehand. You're right. Okay, so three questions. Uh, three uh, three words. All right. So I'd say um, educational, um, definitely educational, promising, and um, oh, educational, promising. And and probably anxiety to a certain extent, a little <laughs> right. bit of anxiety. Those are the three words that would I'd, I'd put to it. Yeah, yeah. I think I def I definitely think those are an accurate description as well. I would say for my 2021, there's still yeah. that. I, I guess the little bit of an anxiety of what the future is going to look like, given mm. how 2020 played out. But uh, yeah. it's always a learning experience on the educational and and promising because there is so much that we have in store for us coming up. But I like it. Yeah. Definitely. All right. All right. Let's get let's get into it. So sure. you were born and raised vegetarian. What yes. does it mean to be born vegetarian? And what was your upbringing like? Yeah, I mean, it was so I'm 30, 32, almost anyway, 30, almost 32. And I was so I was growing up in the the 90s school and school in the 90s as a vegetarian was basically like being at school as a vegan kind of not now because it's really well accepted now. But say like some years back, right? So so anyone who was a vegan and you knows how that feels like, um, that's what it was like being a vegetarian. So it was it was rough, yeah. It was rough. I was the only there were two of us in the school and the other vegetarian was a gal, obviously. So uh I, I, that was all most of the mocking that I got it was like, oh you you know, it's girly, it's it's um, you know, you're a you're a pussy and things like that for being a vegetarian and all the all the stuff that vegans have had. Um, but I was getting it as a vegetarian as a kid, which was, <laughs> which just sucked. But it prepared me for the future, didn't it? Because now, look, you know, I'm doing activism, doing content, vegan content, and people saying this shit all the time. Well, I've dealt with that from a little, being a little kid, so kind of used to it. 
but it was it, yeah it was it was challenging to to get food quite a lot your school canteen wasn't very understanding and you know restaurants didn't really cater to vegetarians you just get like a baked potato and and baked beans and that's pretty much what you could get and that's if you were lucky if not it would just be chips and salad which obviously the vegan staples for uh, when the restaurant doesn't have anything <laughs> uh, ordering off the sides menu but but yeah it's it's very similar now i say it out loud it is very similar to what a lot of vegans describe in their town or city that has no vegan food uh, it's kind of the it was kind of the same but it was um but it was vegetarian so you, obviously you get cheese you'd eat cheese and, whereas when you're vegan you don't eat cheese for example that would be like a main difference but um in terms of eating out but that was pretty much what it was like yeah it was um i never never felt bad though i think people tried to make me feel bad but i was raised with the solid core ethic that these animals are not here uh, for us to to use and abuse even though i was still doing that unknowingly my mum also unknowingly funding the dairy industry and the egg industry but we didn't use leather we didn't use any other animal products at all it was just the consumption of those products that was the only thing we were doing at the time um, but I was, yeah, I was firm in my belief that I was doing the right thing, uh, even though I technically wasn't, <laughs> but I was, I didn't let people make me feel bad is what I'm trying to say, even though they tried very, very hard to do it. So it was your mom who mm. was the decision maker behind you being raised vegetarian? Yeah, she, she, when she was 16, she saw a slaughter truck, uh, full of sheep, I believe, and she couldn't, uh, eat animal products anymore, well, couldn't eat meat anymore. Uh, that was the that was the thing that changed her life, and then some years later, not not very many years later, because you know people had kids very young back then. <laughs> I think she was only twenty two um, when she had me, which is you know think I, it's pretty insane now when you think about that. How many twenty two year olds do you know that have got kids nowadays, right? But uh, but anyway, she yeah she raised us vegetarian uh, because of her solid beliefs about animals not deserving to you know die in a slaughterhouse just so we can enjoy enjoy how they taste so that was a pretty and she she made me aware of that from a very young age she showed me slaughterhouse footage literally like i'd say oh look you know cows in the field she'd say yeah when we get home i'm going to show you what happens to them literally wow. that's how I, yeah from a very young age you know you think that wow. would traumatize someone but it, it didn't it just it, well, it links back to what i said earlier that it, i was very sure that what i was doing was right because i had seen what happened if i if i chose to buy it and eat it i see how how it goes I didn't want to pay for that. I didn't want to be any part of that. So from a very young age, I had a very solid uh, moral compass when it came to animals. I really like that because I have given this a lot of thought and I, I hear a lot of pushback, but I agree with your mom. This is something that I have thought about myself. If I were to have kids someday, I want to show them, I'm going to show them what exactly the process looks like for all food to get to their plate because kids, a big, big thing when you're kids going apple picking in the fall, that's something, you know, everyone does here over in America. What's, what's wrong with that? No one's like, Oh no, don't watch the process of how the apples are made. I mean, they literally show the process of how the apples are picked. And then if they want to make apple cider or turn them into cookies, there's a cider mill that's right around the, the, the corner from my house in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, and you can see the entire process of how all of that stuff is made. The same thing should happen with meat, dairy, and eggs. And if you can't watch that process, should you be consuming that? So I think that was really good of your mom 
to do because it just made you aware from a young age exactly why you're not doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, when I pointed out farm animals uh, or farmed animals, I think is the correct terminology because they're not farm animals, are they? But they are farmed. Um, when I would point them out and say, oh, look, you know, cute cow or uh, cute sheep or as, as kids do, she she did the right thing to show me where they were going to end up. And you're right. There is a lot of pushback. People would push back on that and say, oh, she shouldn't have done that. Uh, but why? Why shouldn't she have done that? Why should she have lied to me? Like everyone else lies to their kids and my mom chose to tell the truth and that somehow makes her a villain? Right. No, that's insane. Right. That's insanity. Right. She did the right, right thing. Yeah, 100% agree. So when was it that you ultimately went vegan? Vegan. So that came a little bit later. So uh, my mom was vegan before me. She was vegan, I think five years before me. And she had told me that the dairy industry was 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 bad you know she told me that it was the the same as the meat industry but i hadn't see that between you and me and between everybody who's listening to this my mom, my mom won't listen to this but <laughs> between you and me i suppose um my mom and our can, listeners right now <laughs> be, my mom can be uh um i don't know what the word is eccentric let's say and not always in a good way she can be a little bit you know loopy at times as most people can and growing up with that, I learned to kind of try and take things with a pinch of salt. And I thought this was one of those occasions. I thought, yeah, she's just, she's just going crazy or being a bit loopy. I'll just, yeah, I don't believe her. I'll, I'll, you know, she'd say, look into it. I'd say, no, I'm not going to look into it. I'm too busy. I've got other things going on. Leave me alone. I already, I already don't eat them, not the animals. And I, you know, I, I like eggs and, and dairy and just leave me alone. It's the same so, reason uh, for why people still eat meat. Right. Exactly. 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 I was, I was bad. Yeah. I was one of those. I was a meat flake. That's what I was. Snowflake, <laughs> but meat flake. Right. Right. Um, that's what I, for anyone that's confused about what that means, even you might be, it's a term I made up. Basically all the meat eaters call vegan snowflakes, but they're the ones that lose their collective shit. Whenever a vegan says, Hey, maybe we shouldn't eat animals. They all go crazy and cry in the comment sections and stuff. So I figured, Oh, what's a good word for them? Because I can't just call them a snowflake back. So I started to call them meat flakes. Meat flakes. <laughs> and that applies also to vegetarians who get upset about vegans. It applies to everyone, even if they're not eating meat. It's just a, a right. collect all in term for people who get upset about what vegans say, you know, right. but be vegan, right? So meat flakes. I was a meat flake for a while, uh, a good while. And I started to have some digestion problems with dairy products because I'm not a cow. Uh, that, you know, that took, <laughs> that was a bit of a smack in the face. You know, I thought, oh, I'm lactose intolerant. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. Of course I am. I'm not a cow. It's, it's, why would I be lactose tolerant? It's stupid. So I, uh, I got, got over it. I was very upset at first about not being able to eat it. But then I had that realization that, wait a minute, I'm not a cow. And then I had a second realization that was like, wait a minute, why am I eating eggs? These are eggs. These are like a part of a chicken's menstrual cycle. What, what am I doing? It's like, I still liked them and I still liked cheese. I still, right now, if, so, if I could eat um, some, you know, I don't know, something that is identical to cheese and eggs that didn't come from an animal or I don't know, some bio lab stuff, I would still want to eat it. I, I never stopped liking the taste of these things and the textures. I, I still would now think about them and go, oh, you know, I wish I could get that same you know, texture and taste. It's not like I'm obsessed with it, but I wouldn't mind it. You know, it would be nice. And I've had very similar since becoming vegan. So it wasn't about that. It was about, I just started to get a little bit freaked out. Like, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? And actually the whole ethical side of things and learning about why, the, you know, solid ethical reasons not to do this, that came a lot later for me. I was a, uh, I was a vegan 
for just basically just the most rational vegan out there. Basically, I was like, I'm vegan because I don't see why not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I don't need these things. So I don't see why I would keep eating them uh, when they, it's weird. They come from animals. I don't need to eat them. So I'm not going to eat them. And I didn't think the animals were abused. I just didn't see the point for a long right. time. That's why I was vegan. And I was, I was committed as well. It wasn't like I was like, oh, maybe here, maybe there. I was like, no, no, it's, it's, it freaks me out. It kind of disgusts me. So it was That's, really for the health then at first, why you went mm. vegan more so than for the animals. Like it was connected to the animals of why do I need dairy or I, I don't need dairy. It's yeah. cows or why do I need eggs? But it really wasn't, was it for the animal rights at first or was it more so health you would say? It wasn't, it was neither actually. At first I cut out the dairy products because of the, of the, you know, some health issues, but the eggs, I cut them out because of me just realizing that, wait a minute, this, this freaks me out. I don't want to eat that anymore. So I, 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 I tell when people asked, was it vegan for health? Was it vegan for, it, I, I, I was more, I was vegan out of logic. I was vegan out of that. It just doesn't make logical sense for me to eat those things anymore. And I, I, I didn't know about the animal rights, which is really, you don't hear that very often, but Sometimes you do meet people who are just like, yeah, I do this because it just makes sense. It's not for any bigger reason. That was me back then. It wasn't for right. any wider reason. I had no, some, I don't know, um, some philosophy behind it. I had nothing like that. I was just like, yeah, I just don't see the point. And I would tell people, I just don't see the point. It freaks me out. I don't know why you would want to eat that stuff. It comes from, it's just, you know, it's animals' milk and it's animals' eggs. Like, it's freaky. Right, it's freaky. right. right. The, anim yes. the animal rights came a lot later. I learned okay. more about the ethical, uh, you know, what's going on with these farms, what's going on with these animals. And, and, and eventually, only some very, a very long time later that I actually get it into my head that no matter how well it's done, no matter how they're raised, or you wouldn't call it raised, I don't know what you would call it, but no matter how they're treated, no matter, no matter what, it doesn't matter. Because if you're using them for your own benefit, if, you know, profiting from them, then they, it's always going to mean that they're slaves. because if they're not free, what are they? And when that penny dropped is when I started to become more vocal and, and yeah, things that kind of accelerated a bit and led me to where I am now. Yeah. Got it. And it went from there. So tell us about that. When was it that you started to become an animal rights activist? Before answering right. that though, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Support for this episode comes from Chicken Bites. Hey, did you know that every serving of Chicken Bites has 17 grams of protein? And did you know that they're made entirely from simple ingredients? Visit www.plantstrengthfoods.com to find out where you can get your pack of Chicken Bites. Use promo code PSR at checkout to save on your order. Chicken Bites, always made from ingredients you can pronounce. Support for this episode comes from Trupo Treats. Brian and Charlie Trooper were on a mission to find the most delectable treat of them all, chocolate. Unfortunately for them, there were very few vegan chocolates on the market. So together, the twin brothers had an epiphany. Why not make our own? So the brothers did just that and launched the Milkless Chocolate Vegan Crunch Bar. Visit www.trupotreats.com to taste a little bit of cruelty-free heaven. Use promo code PSR at checkout to save on your order. And as an added perk, 25% of all proceeds are donated to animal farm sanctuaries. Triple Treats, helping animals one chocolate bar at a time.
All right, guys, and welcome back. So before the break, I asked David when he started his animal rights activism journey. So without further ado, David, take it away. Where do things begin for you? Right. It's uh, we we got to take it back a little bit. It was it was actually way before I even uh, became vegan. Actually, that I was that I was doing activism. I was taken to a an anti vivisection, anti animal testing uh, protest with my mum. I was twelve. We were protesting outside of a, a place that was breeding guinea pigs. I believe it was guinea pigs, and they were breeding them for animal testing. And we were protesting outside, and the people coming in and out of the place were very aggressive, screaming horrible things at us. People driving past were very aggressive, screaming horrible things at us. Barely anyone was supportive, which was pretty crazy. I don't know why. I think they thought, well, it's not that they thought. I mean, the people that were protesting, it was more like a hippie kind of movement back then. Uh, the and what year was this? Rights movement. Well, I was 12, so it was, uh, oh God, I'm really bad with maths on the spot. 32. Like 20, I mean, yeah, 20, like early 20, 2000s. Something, wait, not 20. I don't, <laughs> Um, what year wait, were you born? <laughs> I was born in eight, 89. So it was like, okay, yeah, like 2001. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's quick. Easy. Yeah. 2001. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2001. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was just very different back then. Veganism wasn't really a big thing. Vegetarianism was a big thing, but it was still very much solidly like kind of the, uh, I, I hate saying this, it's not like, it's not like they were abnormal, but they weren't considered to be like the normies in society. They were considered to be more like the kind of left field or whatever. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. So a lot of people weren't supportive, which was pretty, pretty bad experience for me in my first time doing anything like that. And I didn't want to do it again. I think I'd done, I think I did a few more or, or before that, or I did some after that. I can't remember very much. It was a long time ago, but yeah, it wasn't a good experience. I didn't get good vibes from it. And then uh, a long time after that, I decided to, well, there's a lot in between, but basically life carried on. I grew up, I went through university, got a job, lived in Manchester, and then I decided to move to Barcelona and got another job there. And then I met someone there, a vegan, who convinced me to try activism again. And uh, it was with a, a group called 269, which are, uh, they're very well known. And they are famous for doing disruptions at the time, I didn't know what that meant, but I was invited to what I what was called a, a march. They said it's a march. We're going to do a march. So I march. That's that's harmless. I can do a march. That's all good. So I turned up Barcelona city center, ready to go. Let's check this out. A little bit apprehensive after my previous experience, and and I kind of had a bad impression of vegans and activists. I thought they were crazy. I I thought I would never fit in. I just didn't get on with other vegans at that point. I had like no vegan friends at this point. By the way, bear in mind vegan for about what nine years at this point no vegan friends imagine that right, right? i really just didn't get on with vegans back and so then. what year know. what year is this this is like in 2015 for 2015 oh, 20, I think. 2015 okay yeah so yeah, in barcelona yeah. i was in barcelona 2015 still no one vegan friend now which i was happy about and <laughs> and uh, she's like yeah you know try this activism thing so i get there and people seem nice it's like oh this isn't this isn't how i remember activists these all seem like pretty you know I don't know, average people, like not like the kind of, I, I feel mean, I'm being mean. I know I'm being mean, but you got to understand that I'm not like, I, I'm, I'm into metal, I'm into rock and stuff, don't, you know, so I'm not completely like the most conservative, let's say person, but I'm also not into like tree hugging and stuff, right? So right, because like, there's that common misconception, like you were saying, all <laughs> vegans are hippie. They just were far right. but it's exactly. not the case at all. <laughs> exactly, like, it's like I'm, not, I'm not the most conservative, like, most fitting in person like I, through school I was I was like 
you know, I was like a mosher that we get called in England, a mosher, someone who like would, would used to paint, paint the nails and wear the makeup and like goth kind of shit. So I've never really been. Right, the, they, okay. You call that, you call that emo here. Yeah, exactly. Emo, right? Yeah, I yeah, was yeah, yeah. that. And inside, I still am that. So don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm some like guy that was just fitting in everywhere. I wasn't really, but I wasn't also kind of as as out there as these guys most of the time. So I was kind of like, you know, people would look at me and be like, oh, this guy's like, you know, too wacko for me. And I would look at them and be like, oh, these guys are too wacko for me. It just keeps going <laughs> down the, the line, right? So anyway, got there. It seemed pretty cool. Seemed like my kind of vibe. But um, I had another horrible moment where I got put off activism all over again because they had a, a coffin there made out of cardboard and they'd filled it with stuffed animal toys. And uh, I thought that was kind of weird anyway. And I was like, oh, but I can maybe get over it. It's like, it's, it's met metaphorical. I can work with that. Okay. But then they covered it in fake blood and I was just losing it. I was like, dude, this this doesn't feel like it's what, what is this? We just, I just feel like I look crazy. I feel like we all look crazy. And then they picked the coffin up and they marched through Barcelona city center with funeral music playing and candles lit with a, with a paper coffin filled with stuffed animal toys and covered in fake blood. So I, 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 I was put off activism all over again from that. I've thought that I didn't understand disruptions. I didn't understand the psychology of disruptions. I didn't get why it was happening. Now I do, by the way. And although that wasn't the kind of, that's not the kind of disruption that I would personally do now. I understand the, the, the method. I understand what they were doing, right? But back then I was ignorant and I just thought these people, I, I was right. They're fucking crazy. I knew I was right. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm done with activism. I'm never going to hang out with activists, vegans ever again. Um, and I had that whole thing again. I met some more vegans anyway, because Barcelona's got a great vegan movement and uh, still said no more activism until I, until I've eventually met Seb Alex who's a vegan YouTuber, um, Lebanese YouTube, Lebanese vegan YouTuber, probably people have heard of him. And uh, he convinced me to try street outreach with him, Anonymous for the Voiceless. He was just setting it up in the, in Barcelona, the first group in Barcelona of, of uh, Anonymous for the Voiceless, which was, you know, wow, it's like brand new. He was super pumped and convinced me to go down there. And then that was it. That was the beginning of all of the the real, the real shit like, that led me to this point because that was, I was hooked I was hooked. I had no idea that I could reach people so profoundly by talking to them in the street. Strangers were listening to me more than I had. I couldn't, I'd, I'd had so many arguments with people, you know, about veganism that had gone nowhere. And, and then all of a sudden this stranger is listening to me and actually paying attention to me and actually maybe tearing up about what we're talking about. And just, I was like, oh my God, like what? I've missed the trick. I've been wasting all my time with people that I know when it's really, it's the strangers that, that that show interest who I should have been talking to and spending this energy with. And I was hooked. I was hooked. And You know, yeah. it's funny you say that because I, I commonly see that the people closest to you, family, friends who aren't vegan, they yeah. have the hardest time accepting your message. But if they were to hear it from a third party, someone they're not connected to, mm -hmm then they're more open and receptive. And I've seen this not just with veganism, but with any topic at all, any topic that challenges their current way of thinking or their current behaviors, if mm. it comes from family or close friends, there's almost more walls up to listening to the message versus you see the same conversation had with some random person. They're like, 
oh, okay, more open and receptive because they don't, because I feel like they know with you, they can let their guard down in a sense, or just say whatever they want to say. But with someone random, they're a little bit more political, if you would. I think you're right. I, I think it also comes down to the 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 sense of authority that you do or don't have. Like you, when you talk to your, unless you've got this insane level of respect between your family and friends, which not a lot of people have, unfortunately. We have respect for each other, don't get me wrong, but it's not to the same level that you would respect a stranger who seems very educated, right? You would look at them as an authority figure immediately, subconsciously. You'd say, they, they start talking, you'd be like, oh, they, they seem to know what, what they're talking about. This guy knows his shit. I'm going to listen. But if that guy is your brother, <laughs> it's not the same. He, you, you know, your, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, they might, they might know exactly what they're talking about. They might have worked in a topic or a field for 20 years. You're still going to question them because they're, they're a family member or your friend. It's just it's your human nature. But if they have no relation to you whatsoever, you will take almost everything they say at the word. And um, it'll be, like you said, you'll be much more receptive to it. Yeah, because you, you see them in a different light. You see them in their most, if you would, vulnerable moments or just not how they look to the public. Exactly. And that's why that makes a lot of sense with saying, oh, this is an authoritative figure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, continuing on. So you were having these having these conversations with the anonymous oh, for yeah. the voices, and that just clicked in your head. Big time, man. Big time clicked. Yeah. I had a... Uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was really awesome, and and I met the most amazing people. And these were the kind of people I'd been wanting to meet all along. Just just your general, average, everyday people who work and and you know have or whatever they're doing, you know, always working, studying, whatever. And we all just kind of we all had a lot in common, and and we could all we all talked, spoke at like a certain level. And don't get me wrong, there were a few people that came that didn't quite vibe it. Like a few more of the people that were more. I don't know what the word is. Like I say wacky, maybe a little bit like a left field. I don't know if that's the word, a little bit more kind of like that. And But they didn't like Anonymous for the Voices because of the structure and because of the rules and because of the uniform. And so they would they would go, they wouldn't stay for very long. You know, they'd come for a few weeks and go maybe, which it would be nice if we had more people, but also it was kind of good because then you only got left with the people that could respect the process. And yes, we're going to come here and we're going to be a team. We're not going to fuck around and we're not going to wear something stupid. We're not going to say something stupid where we're here to be as professional as we can be uh, voluntarily, you know, like professional volunteers. And it was, it was great, man. It really just opened this world up to me because I'm a very structured kind of, when it comes, I like things to be, a certain way. I liked it. If something's going to be like, okay, it's six o'clock, then it means we get there at 10 to six, right? If we say we're going to do it this way, we do it this way. When we start breaking rules, I start getting really, really like uncomfortable and very unhappy. So Anonymous for the Voiceless was perfect for me because of that. And yeah, the stru structure of conversations and things like that, that it kind of helped you with. And Oh, it was just great, man. It was just, it was just exactly what I'd always needed. And it opened this door to me to just to realize that I can make a big impact and that we can work in a structured way and we can get things done. And even though we're like volunteers and even though we, we, you know, we're just kind of doing our best and we're not, no one, none of us, no one's really sure about the, you know, the, the global strategy that's going to get us to the place we need to be. But you know what, we've got, we've got structure and we've got a core idea and we're, we're going to go and execute it and and see how this goes and it just it felt really it felt really good to see the immediate results from people people just changing right there on the spot or 
committing to going home and saying, I'm going to actually look into this. You've opened my mind and things that, you know, this, this may not have happened for a very long time. And, and it happened today because, because I was on the street. It just feels, it just, yeah, it was very, very rewarding and felt you were really making an impact. And it, that's, that's when things accelerated big time and led to, you know, starting a YouTube and started Instagram and, and being inspired by like Joey and, James and Ed and, you know, looking at these guys who reaching millions of people through making videos. And I thought it just all kind of clicked within like a period of, it felt like like only like three months, maybe things just really started to go quickly and started clicking and kind of finding my feet and what I was going to do for the rest of my life, really. Well, at least the rest of my young life. I don't know how long you can keep this up into your, into your 60s. Right, but right, right. <laughs> at least, sort of, at least, you know, most of my um, young adult life is definitely committed to, to what I'm doing now for sure. That's awesome. So it seems like you've traveled a lot too, because you're from the UK, went to Barcelona. I know you now live in Finland. Mm. What was your travels like and how have they really influenced the ways in which you see the world and, and how you approach your activism? Oh man, that's a big question. It's got a big answer. I, I grew up in a small town in England, very small town. Just everybody knows everybody. And, and uh, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, you, you get a lot of stigmas, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of, when you grow up in a town like that, there's a lot of racism. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of, there's even a lot of sexism. There's a lot, small towns in England, as I'm sure small towns in America have the same problem. It's just, especially if it's not a diverse town, which uh, ours was a diverse town, but segregated. <laughs> and we had a big Muslim population, but they lived in the Muslim area of the town, like where all the mosques were. They were not interested in integrating with the uh, non-Muslim population. It was the same with the other way around. So growing up like that, you can imagine I, I probably wasn't the nicest person um, as a as a young person, right? And, and I don't, that wasn't on purpose. That was just ignorance, complete ignorance. Um, moving, well, starting to work and, 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 you know, get a real kind of life and going to college first, sorry, then going to work and even though I didn't really move anywhere, this started to open my mind up already to like, wait a minute, there is life outside of the small town and all these things that have been getting fed in my head are not true. And actually, you know, all these stereotypes that you've been fed by your people around you are not true. And, and kind of the further out you reach, the more you learn that this is all wrong and that you've been living in a weird kind of, you know, such closed minded way. And it's bubble, it's horrible bubble. Um, so yeah, I had kind of these awakenings at college and then at work, working, I did a year of working and then to university, that was like mind blowing. So before even traveling, I had these awakenings and it just carried on. It continued, you know, um, from university onwards, the more you travel, the more people you meet, the more you learn about all different kinds of people and all different kinds of, of, of uh, your cultures and traditions and some of which that you, you rightly challenge, you know, when, especially when they're related to animals and some that you, you just, you know, enjoy that you, you can just experience. Yeah, I was quite, for I'll be honest with you that I was quite fortunate to get most of my life lessons before I even went traveling. When I moved to Manchester, I ended up uh, at, so at one point living with a friend who was a, who was a les is a lesbian and um, she had this awesome kind of um, gay community friends 
like friendship group who would just come over. So I would just be exposed to all these different kinds of people with all these different kinds of preferences. And uh, even like I met the first person I ever met who was trans through her. And this was before the trans movement really grew. Like this is when it was really, really small and people didn't even know what it meant. And I, I got to understand what that meant right there and then before, before everybody, before the world kind of got it. So, you know, I got a lot of awakenings uh, through kind of before I even went traveling, but then, you know, traveling through India, Thailand, um, even I was able to go to Africa at one point and to Tanzania and then all across Europe, it all added to that, you know, but I, I feel very fortunate that even through university and, and work in England, I was able to get a lot of exposure to different people, different cultures, different traditions, different ideas. And then this, yes, connecting it back to activism, it really does help because then you can talk about, you can talk with experience of people you've met and you know, people just assume that you're, oh, you're, you look like this, like you're a white dude. Um, so therefore you must believe this, 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 and you don't understand this, this, and this. And it's like, no, actually I've spoken to a lot of people about a lot of things. Um, I've got more of an understanding and then it makes you feel more confident in bringing these topics up with practically anyone because you have an understanding of, of, you know, what people diversity in people. And also, even if you don't, as long as you're willing to learn, it doesn't matter you, know, you can challenge anyone to go vegan as long as you're willing to listen to what they have to say. Um, you know, whatever, don't assume you know everything about them. And and it doesn't mean you, you don't need to fail the animals here. It doesn't mean like you just let them off the hook if they're, I don't know, whatever the problem is. But the point is, is that you listen to them, learn about them, and then you can, you can tailor what you've got to say based on that. And yeah, I don't know, rambled on a little bit, but, but basically yeah, I learned a lot from a lot from England and, and also from traveling and, um, I feel confident in talking to practically anyone about anything, um, especially, but especially related to veganism, animal rights. It's just about keeping an open mind, I think, is, is the important thing whilst maintaining your points, um, but listening to them and what they have to say is, yeah. Equally yeah, important. and I, I think that's really important what you said about how that you got to learn about so many different people. And then even so, when you're communicating with people about veganism and animal rights, it's listening to them first, hearing their perspective first. If you don't fully understand their perspective and and meet that person exactly where they are, nothing you say is really going to matter. So mm. I personally think that's the best way to do activism is to get to understand the person that you're talking with first and then take the conversation from there. So speaking on that, what in your opinion do you feel is the most impactful way to affect change through animal rights activism? Yeah, I think, uh, well, in a, in a general sense, I mean, just for a listener to know, I think whatever you can do is the most effective because if you can't do what I say is the most effective and you don't do anything, then then what I'm saying is the least effective because you're not doing it, right? So whatever you can do, whatever your personal talent, traits, skill, whatever it is, you can apply to animal rights activism, vegan activism, whether it be making content, whether it be just that reposting, you know, other people's content, uh, whether it be doing outreach on the street or whatever, whatever you can do is the most effective because that's what you can do. In terms of what I think for myself is the most effective for me, my, my talent, my skills are clearly uh, in creating, uh, writing and creating videos and editing. And I think this is where I've really found my forte uh, speaking and editing and videos and kind of anything that involves, yeah, that's basically. I um, 
I think uh, I agree with what you said about when you're reaching out to people and communicating that is really, really powerful on a one to, on a one-to-one basis. And you absolutely should uh, listen and be reasonable and and be as calm and understanding as possible, but also firm. But I've learned that actually, if you're going to be making videos online as I am and as you are as well, uh, the rule the same rules don't really apply. Uh, if you are if you are making videos and you're making posts and they are reasonable, calm, understanding, chances are they're not going to have the impact that you wish they would have. And that's just the nature of social media. It's a, we're, we're living in like, a, what is it? A billion tweets a minute world or something like that. Uh, you're not going to cut through the bullshit if you're acting in that way with, uh, with online content. So I guess right now what I'm, and also because it's just who I am, I'm not, I'm not, I'm when I'm, I, to be authentic for me means to swear, it means to say things as they are, it means to be blunt, and it means to not necessarily be the most kind of com- compassionate kind of, I guess the compassionate is probably the right word, actually. With people, I'm not very compassionate, not most of the time when it comes to discussing veganism and animal rights, because I just think they're chatting shit most of the time, which they are. And I'll tell them that online in videos on a one-to-one basis, maybe not so much because it's not effective, but online... I feel like it really is effective because you're talking to the general people. It's not like you're nailing one person to the wall. You're not nailing anyone to the wall. They can watch it and not feel like it attacks them, which I feel is really, it's really unique. So that's what I think is the most effective. You can reach hundreds of thousands of people and catch them in ways that you could never catch them on a face-to-face basis by making videos. Um, And you can say things you would never say on a face-to-face basis because you know it wouldn't be effective face to face, but online it's very effective. I think that's a, it's a it's an area I wish a lot about. I wish a lot more people, especially women, would get more involved in in this kind of talking head. You know, making a video, talking to the camera, B roll, some nice you know editing stuff like that. Make something really powerful. Like Earthling Ed does really good videos like that as well. I wish we had more. Not necessarily only women. I just I wish we had more a more variety of people doing that because. I think it would really help if we had more of a variety of people making these videos. Um, but we don't. And I don't know what the reason behind that is. Uh, but uh, if you're listening to this and you are, basically, if you're not a guy, um, then please think about that <laughs> because, because it would be really great to have a wide variety of people making that style of video so we could have a variety of you know content for people to choose from to learn about these things and get a smack in the face, you know? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really great advice honing in on that 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 initial first point that you made. The best thing you can do is whatever is best for you because each different form of activism is going to work for different people. Kind of like what we talked about previously, doing disruptions isn't for you and and personally it's not really something for me either. I prefer doing my method of activism of going out doing our Plant strength movement tour, taking our shirt off, writing on our chest, That's a disruption, holding though. up signs. It's a disruption, <laughs> but it's like it's a different type of disruption. We're doing it out in the open in a park, and we're trying to make it not as dark. Uh, of course, I mean the animal agriculture agriculture industry is dark. The process of how meat, dairy, and eggs gets to our plates is dark, and so we're trying to just bring a different light to veganism and to show people that you can be cool and be vegan. We're not all hippies. We're not yeah. far out there. We can connect with you. And then when I actually have those conversations, that's personally what works best for me. But again, the best way to do activism 
is to figure out whichever the best way that works best for you personally. So try different things and, and whichever one you feel most comfortable with, do that. Um, so I think, you know, I think that was, I think that's really great advice. And we've talked about so much in this podcast, but before we continue on, I'd like to take a brief moment to highlight our team member of the week, something we do every episode to show our love and appreciation for our ever-growing family. What's up, guys? My name's Will Brooks, and I'm proud to be this week's Plan Strike team member of the week. You can find me on Instagram at WillBrooksOfficial, TikTok at Will.Brooks.Official, and on YouTube at WillBrooksOfficial. So you're thinking about going plant-based or vegan, but you're on the fence, and whether that's because you think it's just too difficult or you don't know where to start, I'd like to send you forward with a couple words of encouragement. First off, don't worry about being perfect. No one's perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. It's not a reason to give up. Two, you can go slow. You don't have to go fully vegan overnight. You don't have to go fully plant-based overnight. And if anybody tells you you gotta do it that way, uh, I'm gonna heavily disagree with them. I did it personally over a period of three to four weeks, okay? And uh, it worked out great. It's sustainable, you learn along the way, you allow yourself to make mistakes, and it's all good. Lastly, consider all the good that's gonna come from this. You're gonna positively affect the animals, the environment, and your fitness and health. And any decision you can make that positively affects your surroundings, I think is a good decision. So these are all tips I've used to help myself transition to fully vegan. I hope they help you too. I'll see you in the next one. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, our growth spurts and growing pain segment. So it goes, things changing. I know that though I've got no control, that's just the way that we for those of you who haven't heard of this segment before, at the end of every show, we ask each guest what a recent growth spurt of theirs is, an accomplishment that they're proud of, as well as a growing pain, something that they're still trying to get better with. Both of these can be health, work, or life related. So with that, We'll start right at the top. David, what is a recent growth spurt of yours? Yeah, I think a big spurt. This is going to help a lot of people, actually, I think, as well. Uh, it's about work. And a massive growth spurt I've just had with my YouTube channel has been uh, learning learning how to do proper keyword research and also, at the same time, figuring out the, the science behind a, a thumbnail that, that makes sense to be clicked on. These are two monster growth spurts. The keyword research was always just a mystery world to me. I tried to do it before and I was just like just failing massively, not understanding it, really struggling. And I found this tool and I'm going to sound like a sales pitch here, but I don't <laughs> I don't get anything from these guys for plugging this. Uh, there's, a, there's a tool called Morning Fame, which I've spoken to you about. And they, uh, they offer a keyword research tool that uh, it literally analyzes your YouTube and then when you search for potential video titles and potential topics, it will evaluate them for you and tell you based on your, your actual channel, whether you should make a video on that topic or not, because if there's too much competition or if the competition is, is lower than you or the same level than you, or if the competition has, you know, everyone has 2 million subs, it will let you know that stuff. And then you can, you know, basically have, have a basis for whether there's any point in you doing a video on this, uh, statistically speaking, will your video take off statistically speaking? Yes or no. You can answer that question before you even hit the record button. And it has just revolutionized the way I make videos since I started using it before I started using this. And before I started the, the, uh, the research and also the thumbnail, um, 
science kind of stuff, I was hitting like, I was lucky if my video got over a thousand views and, and I've been doing this for a while now and I'm starting to honestly get a little bit like, what am I doing wrong? Like I've been doing YouTube for so long. I feel like my videos have gotten so much better, but they're not getting out to people. And uh, now they're, they're, you know, the last couple are like, one's at five, five or 6,000, one's at 3,000. And, and I thought maybe it was a fluke, but it's just one after another. They're just hitting every time. And it's just, uh, it's because of this. So I'm really pumped about that. And I can see like a really bright future right now if I can really carry on honing in on these keywords and, and reach a lot more people and have a lot more of an influence and get to get this message out there even further. So I'm really pumped about that. That's uh, awesome. Congrats. Really yeah, I'll that. definitely, definitely uh, going to have to sign up for an account. And, and Oh man, it's so worth it. Really trying to take off with the YouTube channel. It's so worth it. It's like $10 a month and it's not something I would usually never pay for something like, I don't like paying for stuff like this. I feel like it's, I can do, I can do it myself, but there, there's, there's right, no right. way you could do this yourself. There right, is right, no, right. no way. It would take so long to do what this thing does in like three clicks. It's right, ridiculous. Right, right. Yeah, the, the software. So that's yeah. awesome. But on the opposite end of that, mm. what would you say a current growing pain of yours is? <laughs> That's funny, man. Um, all right, you can just uh, pick back up. Sure. The growing pain. Uh, so the growing pain, biggest growing pain, it's not even a, yeah, it's a current one, but it's been the same for since I started this whole thing. It's just not knowing wh when is enough <laughs> work and it's not respecting the process of like, if you are somebody who creates things for a living, you can't keep doing it all the time. There has to be time where you don't create there has to be time where you do things that are mindless like playing computer games and just sitting and doing nothing that like you have to have that time even though it feels like you're not doing anything at in that time this is like it's i i think there's even studies on this that this is like where your brain does its most imagine imaginatory stuff like it's where it creates the most not when you're trying to do it but actually when you're not trying to do it is when it start it kicks into gear and starts being more creative apparently so it's it's, it's also for recovery but mostly because if you're a creator you can't create if you don't give yourself time uh, your brain time to to get the imagination running so that has always been tough for me and it still is right now i really struggle to know when to close the laptop and and go away and um just switch everything off. I, I just, I really struggle to do it. And I, I, I'm really hard on myself. I don't feel like I deserve a break. I don't feel like I deserve to sit and play games, or, you know, or, or go and watch a movie or watch my series. I don't know. I, I kind of punish myself. I don't know why. And it's something I'm getting better at now, especially I've, I've been taking a lot more time to play like Call of Duty with my brother and, and <laughs> things like that, which is, it's, it's so helpful. It really improves your, your mood, you know, just to have a break away from just, editing 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 and creating editing i i love it uh but um yeah you can overdo it and i feel like that's what i was doing before so that's yeah it's it's on the it's on the road to to a better road but that's right now i know like next week it might be really bad again you know it's something i've never got the hang of uh 
it improves and it gets bad. It's like a roller coaster. I get better, I get worse. I get better, I get worse. I need to need to get on that. Yeah, I need to do something about that. Dude, it's something that I regularly talk about for a growing pain of mine is giving myself that free time to step back from work. And I've definitely greatly, greatly improved on it overall. And now what I have really been practicing, meditation has, has helped that a lot, is just being able to sit and meditate and collect my thoughts of why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I feeling this way? And really trying to get that deeper understanding. And then also just recognizing that if I feel I need a break, I can allow myself to take a break and not telling myself that I have to be working all the time. Because the more I tell myself I have to be working, the more bad I feel. And then when I did instead tell myself, if I need a break, take a break. Like if I need to go take a 30 minute nap, I just lay down and take a 30 minute nap instead of being like, oh no, you're a, you're a pussy for taking a nap. You got to work, like work, 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 work. It's just nonstop. And that's honestly like how I used to think in my head. And it was so detrimental because then my work wasn't as productive. I was always kind of feeling anxious whenever I wasn't doing, whenever I wasn't working. And it would just take away from my personal life. And I felt like it, it definitely put a hinder on my relationships of all different levels, family, friends, romantic, because I was just always in the back of my head when I wasn't working, thinking I should be working. And now consistently telling myself, well, one, I mean, if my life ended right here, right now, would I be happy beating myself up like this? No, because mm -hmm. anything can happen. And kind of having that just awakening and realization, and I'm more so connected to this because I've still been struggling with this, but really through my meditation, I've disconnected with that because my dad died in 2015. And it's like, he worked so much. Even when he was in ICU after waking up from a coma that he was in four days, uh, for four days, the doctors didn't think he was going to make it out of it because he had kidney failure. Uh, he went into kidney failure a month before he ultimately died. He had cancer. Like it's, it's like two days after he wakes up and gains his, regains his awareness. One of the first things he says to me is, Bob, I need you to go home and get my laptop. I got to work. I got, I got emails to answer. In my head, I'm like, Dad, you, you literally just woke up from a coma. The doctors didn't even think you were going to live. But of course, I'm like, yeah, no problem. Got you. Went home. Got it. But he just always worked and he was very successful at what he did. But at the same time, literally a month later, like two days before he dies, he says to me, you know, Bob, like I, I really, I really wish I had taken more time to work less and to travel more with you guys as a family. And that is something that's stuck with me to this day because I really just felt that just deep pain and regret knowing that he was never going to be able to have that time with us. And that's also something that I has really helped me just put it into realization. It's like, what really matters most in this life? Is it work or is it the relationships that we make? Obviously, we want to make an impact. Both of us really want to make a lasting positive impact on as many lives that we possibly can in our life. But if we don't enjoy our own lives while we have this time, is it even worth it? 
and we can do both. So maybe our progress for what we're working on, maybe it's a little slower getting to where we want to be, but we're actually enjoying the process and we're actually giving time to ourselves. And honestly, the more time I give, I'm able to give to myself and the more I allow myself to take a break when I feel I need a break, the more productive I am and the more work I get done and the faster I actually get to where I, <laughs> I want to be. So it's like, yeah, though that personally has what's led me to kind of where I am today. Always a work in progress, but I really connect with you because I've struggled through that a lot. You know, it's the <clears throat> it's the it's the power of hindsight, I suppose. Is is uh, is you know, if you knew you were going to <clears throat> if you knew you were going to be in an accident, or you know, if you knew you were going to, God forbid, get cancer tomorrow. And you wouldn't uh, live today the same way. Um, and, you know, it's a heartbreaking story you told me about your dad. And well, he had that moment. He, he, you know, he knew that things were coming to a close and he had the regret. Like, if I'd have known that this is what was going to happen, I would not have lived the life I live. And it inspired, you're, you're right. It should inspire all of us to try and live the life that we, we would hope to live uh, if we were to, you know, know we were going to die tomorrow. If we, if we could know that, what would we do now? But then it's it's also difficult because then we've got to find that balance between, you know, to live the life you want to live, you do have to work because you doesn't, you know, nothing comes for free. It, it, it's finding that balance. And um, it's it's very tough to find that balance for, for for all of us. It's not just us two, it's it's everybody. Everybody's finding it hard to find this balance. And it's stories like that one that that inspire us to actually make more of an effort to find that balance so we don't get, end up drowning in in work and um, being too hard on ourselves to, to pushing ourselves too hard to try to get things done. Cause it, as you just said, it ultimately doesn't give the right results anyway. And I, I even had, I, we spoke about this very briefly before coming in, but I've had this kind of, oh, let me tell you something that you'll think, you'll think this is crazy, by the way, it's very rel relative to what we're talking about right now. Very relevant to what we're talking about. There's a festival in England called the vegan camp out. And the first time I ever went there was when I had just become what I called myself back then, a full-time activist is what I called myself. That's what I am now. So I was trying to get people to help me to be a full-time activist, which meant creating content, giving workshops, uh, giving communications workshops. I have a background in HR and recruitment psychology. So I was able to give, you know, communications and kind of sales workshops, but not sales, you know, just talking about veganism. And But the point that's relevant is I went to that camp out, to that festival full of vegan food, best vegan food you'll ever see. And it was all not cheap, obviously. It's, it's uh, the, the best of the best vegan junk food in the UK. So it's, it wasn't crazy overpriced, but it certainly wasn't cheap. And I I barely had any of it at all. I barely bought anything because, not that I couldn't, I could have. I had savings. I had uh, some money. I was doing okay. I wasn't I wasn't struggling at that point. But I, I wouldn't do it. What, why? Because I didn't want people to see me seemingly enjoying myself when I'm supposed to be a full-time activist. That was my logic in my head. I can't be seen to be having, I can't be seen to be spending money. I can't be seen to be eating this food. So uh, instead, I'm gonna, I, I brought my own food from the supermarket and I ate practically every meal uh, at my tent when all, I was at a vegan festival with a vegan food tent, you know, all these vans, vegan food vans. And I, and I had maybe like one meal from, if the, for that whole weekend, I refused to do it. And this is the kind of standard I was holding myself to. It's just not healthy to, to live like that. And no. this is exactly exactly what you were talking about. It's like, you look back, I look back on that now and I'm like, 
you know, even without any kind of tragedy happening or anything to make me look back, I just look back now as just someone sat where I am now and I just cringe at myself, man. What what kind of stress was I putting myself? What kind of can you imagine how anxious so I must silly. have been? It's oh so my god. I've been, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there thinking like feeling and doing the same things and thinking of I need to be this certain way. It was the same reason why I, I didn't speak on activists, like speak on animal rights on my Instagram for so long or on my, on my social media in general. I always thought that I started my page on fitness and nutrition and that's what I should do. I was worried about what everyone else thought. Yeah. And then once I let go of that and I just said, I care more about the lives of these animals than how someone feels in the moment because that in the moment feeling of maybe I rub them wrong, the wrong way will pass. The fact that these animals are going to die that's eternal. That's never going to change. I want to change that. So I'm going to speak out on it and I'm going to stop caring and be unapologetic. Not that I don't care about people and their well being because I do. I care about everyone's well being. But at the same time, I'm going to do what I feel is right and I'm going to provide for myself and stop caring about others' opinions and putting these just like, constraints on myself that really don't do anything exactly what are, what are these yeah these weird constraints you put on yourself no one put them on you you, you put them on yourself and, and and you hold yourself up to these weird standards that no one no one else is holding you and if they are like you just said it's i watched the uh the steve jobs movie recently and um there's a lot i don't know if you saw it michael fassbender you know the acted version of the, i haven't no i haven't seen it so it's really, it's really good. And I'm sure a lot of the quotes in there were quotes of actual Steve Jobs quotes. And as much as that guy had his demons and there's a lot in that movie that's like, oh my God, this guy was a bit of a bit of a shit. There was a lot of stuff he said that really resonated in what we've just talked about now. One of the things he said, someone said, um, oh, you, you go around and yeah, you say you don't care about other people's opinions. You don't care if other people like you. And he said, no, 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 it's not that I don't care. It's that I'm completely indifferent to it. I'm indifferent. You don't like me? That it's not like he's like, oh, I don't care because that means you have an emotion. He's just like indifference. Right. And it's it's such a it really got me thinking, like stoic, it's very stoic. And and I I really want to live like that. I, it's not like I, I I want I would I would like it if you liked me, but if you don't like me, then well, okay, I'm indifferent to that. It's not I don't hate you for that and I don't love you for that. I am like, okay, well, I'm gonna stay in my plateau. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna get upset or emotional, I'm just gonna be indifferent to it. And um, once you get to that, well, it's hard to maintain that. I think Steve Jobs was clearly very good at that. That's how he became Steve Jobs, right? But it's it's very difficult to you got to keep reminding yourself that of that. I think that other people don't own you, and they 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 can say what they want about you, but you're on, you're not you're not obligated to to do anything about what they have to say. <laughs> do you, you get what I mean? Yeah, you determine your self worth. Absolutely, yeah. It all comes down to you and. In your perspective, perspective is everything. Mindset is everything. Change your mindset, change your life. I think this was such a great way to wrap up the show. I feel like we could, we already know this. <laughs> when we have our conversations outside the podcast, we just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. But before we close things out, please tell everyone where they can find you online. Yeah, sure. So it's uh, my YouTube is David Rams. It's uh, like Ram like the animal, but with two M's. So it's David Rams or Rams, if you were, if you were German, maybe that's how you would pronounce it. 
<laughs> I'm not German, by the way. It's just my surname is Ramsden. So it's just a play on that. You can find me there, David Rams on YouTube. You can find me the same place, David Rams on Instagram. Um, pretty much on every social media, David Rams, but YouTube is the is the number one place. That's that's every week. There's new content. There's crazy stuff going on a lot of the time. Uh, a little bit of drama, mostly. But there's, there's drama weekly. I'd say there a little bit of drama because you know, it's a YouTube game. You gotta gotta be dramatic. Um, but uh, but a lot of solid animal rights content. If you like unapologetic, no bullshit content with a lot of swearing and and a lot of telling people how it is and no bullshit, then that that's for you. Well, you guys heard it first. Find David Rams everywhere. Make sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel. Follow him on Instagram. Thank you so much, David, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. I really took a lot away from this, this show, and I hope you guys did too. And as always, until the next one, I'm your host, Bobby Lynch, and this is Plant Strength Radio. Plant Strength Radio is hosted by Bobby Lynch, produced and edited by Kiwan Harrison. Original theme music by Alex Brinkley and Tyson Bryce. If you would like to hear more podcasts like this, please like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts can be streamed. To learn more about Plant Strength, the company behind this podcast, please visit www.plantstrengthperformance.com or follow us on social media at Plant Strength Performance. Plant Strength, sustainability for mind, body, soul, and the environment. Thank you for listening.